Welcome to Cross-Border Tax Talks, where we discuss the latest trends in international taxation, from German taxes to the OECD's latest developments. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's International Tax Services Global Leader. You can watch these podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash Doug McConey. On this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks, we're at PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Conference in Berlin, Germany, where I'm excited to be joined by Arnie Schnitger. Arnie is an international tax partner with PwC here in Berlin and co-host of the German tax podcast, oh boy, Arnie, Frisch Server? Oh, very close. Frisch Serviet. <laughs> Frisch Serviet. Yes. I'll let you do the German pronunciation. Sure. All right. <laughs> Who you host with Christian Kieser. Yes. Um, so, Arnie, welcome yeah. back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Glad right. to be here. You knew I was going to struggle with the German pronunciation. Yeah, yeah. But you're doing good. But doing it, good. <laughs> thank you. Don't, <laughs> don't patronize me. Um, so, um, the, which the translation of your podcast served fresh. Correct. Yeah. All right. I did have first. to Google that. I think you, yeah. you told me, but <laughs> yes. I, did, I did have to, to do the translation. Yeah. So, Arnie, believe it or not, it was December 2020 that you right. were last on the Cross-Border Tax Talks podcast. It was one of the virtual podcasts, which right. I always prefer being able to sit with you here in person. And it's yes. awesome to be here yeah. in your hometown of Berlin, uh, where we talked about Section 49 of the, of the German tax code. This yes. mysterious provision that appeared from 1925 that, apply, that, from 1925 that applied to foreign to foreign royalty payments, yes. where the underlying IP was based in Germany. Right. Um, we're going to talk about, I'll tell listeners, at the end of the podcast, I'll, I'm going to force you to do an update. I think you have Section 49 fatigue at yes, this point. A little bit, so, but that's a cliffhanger, I guess. But, and it, it's still, it, that's the cliffhanger to yeah. keep people listening to the end, although you, know, you can't scroll through these podcasts, as you well know. But it was September of 2022, so just a couple of few weeks ago, um, that I was honored to join your podcast, uh, where we talked about uh, the book minimum tax. Right. Uh, was it the first podcast that you had done in English? Or? Actually, I think it was the second one. The we second had one, one with Georg Kofler about Pillar 2 and European law, which we did in English, okay. which was interesting because he's Austrian. So an Austrian and German trying to speak in English, so it's going to be uh, yeah, something I don't know. <laughs> okay. It makes sense. But yeah, so it was the second one and actually was, was very, very well perceived. People really liked it, actually. People commented on it in German. So yeah. On which so, podcast? On yours, basically, yeah. Fan- on ours, actually. On, yeah. on ours, yeah. yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And yeah. for those listeners that want to check it out, I talked about the book minimum tax. Right. Um, and we kind of explained why the book minimum tax is not a QDM TT right. or Pillar 2, and right. but some of the, comparing it to some of the Pillar 2, yeah. the Pillar 2 rules. So my first question before we begin, mm-hmm. what do you prefer, Arnie, being the host or being the guest? <laughs> that's a good question, actually. <laughs> I don't know. Can I answer this after this? I don't know. You've been on no. before. Yeah, actually, you know what? I think it was a lot of fun to be here. And actually, it's also fun to be here in the studio. We do our podcast still virtually. And I have to say, this one I really prefer. I mean, as I told already you before, maybe you should talk to our German management team. But we need the studio as well. Right. Maybe I'm going to enjoy my own podcast even more. Than so we're this. recording today, for those that are actually listening to this and not watching on YouTube, in a, in a hotel, in a conference yes. center here right. in Berlin. But yeah. we do have 
have our the cameras set up, and right. so many listeners, I think, prefer to. And I'm like one of the kind yeah. of guys that prefers to watch my podcast right. as opposed to listen. But yeah. that's not yeah. always easy to do. But just to be joking, I think it's really fantastic to be also a host, simply because you meet so many fantastic, you know, people joining the podcast, and I think that's what I really enjoy. Even though it's also nice to be here and meet, of, of course, in person for such a long time, especially. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. And I will tell you that I have a strong preference to host as okay. opposed to be the guest. I just I feel a lot more pressure as the guest okay. as opposed to it's a lot easier to ask the questions. So yeah. I'm glad the tables are turned here and uh, I can be the host and you can be the guest. So what I really wanted to spend some time today talking about, Arnie, and we'll get to a couple of the other German topics, I guess, mm -hmm. in Section 49, and I also have some questions about the anti your anti-hybrid rules. Um, but really wanted to spend some time on Pillar 2. Right. I think the last kind of Pillar 2 podcast that I had on had Callum Dewar, who is one of our international tax partners in the U.S., talking right. about deals. And yes. I heard a lot of feedback from that podcast because right. I think the light bulb went on for a lot of people like, well, mm -hmm. even though these rules haven't been enacted, right. they're still in play, right? Because of the transition rules right. and because of any transactions that have occurred yeah. after the date of announcement in December of 2021, mm -hmm. you know, this year, even though there's no rules kind of officially law, mm -hmm. we're still in play. So um, I, I think it's really relevant for taxpayers, advisors, it's, um, academics that listen to the podcast, really how important Pillar 2 is. And I think what a lot of the naysayers from Pillar mm -hmm. 2 that I've talked to, you know, looked at what's happened with the EU directive and mm -hmm. the lack of the EU to be able to get unanimity right. as potential evidence that, well, Pillar 2 is going to fail. Is this really mm -hmm. going to happen? Right. And so, you know, a few weeks ago, I think it was in September of 2022, there was a statement, a joint statement from Germany, Spain, mm -hmm. Italy, and the Netherlands, I might be missing one, mm -hmm. um, about Pillar 2. So right. tell me about this, because this was really big news. And I think yeah. this took many of us by surprise, yeah. as there were discussions about enhanced cooperation. Sure. But like Germany came out, and, and what did they announce? Right. Well, basically what they announced, no matter how the discussion will play out on European level, Germany, including those other countries you just mentioned, gonna move forward and just implement implement those rules. And it's actually interesting because when the statement was published, we of course heard a lot of also um, you know requests from the network and also from clients internationally. Um, for us, it was not even such a surprise, you know. And, and why is that? Well, you you might have heard Germany has been a supporter of this initiative for quite some time, and we've been hearing about this development, let's say, for the last two or three years. Oh yeah, know? and. Uh, so therefore, we always expected that Germany, no matter what will happen, will move forward f uh, to that because it's being seen as something which is the right thing to do, you know, creating a level playing field. And therefore, when the statement was made, it's really something which was almost kind of expected. But now, of course, as this is out there, politically, that's a very strong statement, as you can, Im mm -hmm. as you can imagine. And therefore, now um, you can also imagine that I think the works on these rules are, of course, probably getting some speed, getting some traction. We, we expect also, you know, rules as we hear it, maybe end of this year, maybe first quarter, basically, because if they need to be implemented by 24, there's obviously some time in the legislative process. And as you've also probably seen, a lot of other countries already launched their rules. And now as we're, as we're one of the countries supporting that, of course, we don't want to be in a position that suddenly we're, we're lagging behind. So therefore, for us, it was not really so much of a surprise. Mm -hmm. but, but I can, I can imagine that outside, if you don't follow it so much, you can see, it, oh, this is now really a big statement for us. Yeah, and I yeah. think that was kind of one of the maybe misconceptions for some of mm -hmm. us that are, we're so closely tracking what's going on from an EU perspective. Right. 
maybe some of us lost sight about you know this what's taking place in the in the specific jurisdictions. And right. I think I it's Germany, Spain, Italy, Netherlands, and France were the five. Yes. I think I, I had missed missed France. Yeah. So you said that you had you expect rules maybe to come out in the last quarter here of 2022 or the first quarter in 2023. How does how does the German legislative process work? Because we've yeah. spent a lot of time on the cross border tax talks talking sure. about the U.S. legislative process and the need because we were expecting big U.S. tax reform and what we ended up with as we talked about on your podcast the right. minimum tax. Tell listeners kind of how yeah. does that work from a right. German perspective and kind of the process. So, so I have to say it depends a little bit. So as always, it starts with the draft. And the first question, is it a draft just from the ministry or is it a draft already from the government? That's the first question, which, which we don't know yet. I mean, these rules are quite complicated, as you imagine. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. So I would not be surprised if there might be a first draft from the ministry. And I would also expect that there will be some reconciliation. So how usually it works, especially for those complicated rules, you have drafts which are sent out, sent out to different stakeholders, sent out to different organizations. In to give them to, a chance to comment. Exactly, yep. to comment on that. And uh, I, I would expect something similar, of course, as well here. Um, and then basically, ultimately, it will go into first official draft. And then basically, it's going to be going through all our parliament. Actually, it's, we have two, two bodies, basically, one uh, it's, it's the German parliament, then there's one lower house, you might say so, where the mm -hmm. different states have to consent to it as well. And, uh, and that's then basically the process. And uh, obviously there will be also official hearing where basically also um, experts will be heard to and then in parliament it has to pass as a normal bill and then be enacted basically. And, and that has to be done during the year, um, next year basically, in order to be applicable for 2024, which we expect will be the date of application. But of course, that's all to be decided in oh, the process. Sure. Yeah, so. and we should caveat that because I'm going to ask you to speculate to sure. uh, a, a little bit. So you had mentioned kind of uh, effective date. Is it still kind of the view that, you know, and I do think it's kind of interesting that for tax years beginning after or on or after December 31st, 2023, I'm not really aware of many taxpayers whose tax years begin on the last day of the calendar year. Right. I guess that gives, you know, still the, yeah. the it's enacted in 2023. So is the, is it your speculation that there would be the income inclusion rule that would apply effectively for 2024 and then yes. the under tax payment rule for 2025? Well, that's the question. So 24, that's the current speculation, at least. Okay. Again, as said, that's something we don't know. We need to see what the draft law is foreseen. But I mean, so far, I would expect it's 24. And then with the under tax payment rule, we don't know. So it would make sense to push it a year back. But I would also not be surprised also if it maybe it's all in one year applicable. So all going on 24. Interesting. Also something which could, could happen, we will see. At least it would provide for a, you know, um, application in a constant manner, in a constant way. So we'll see what the final draft law will say. Yeah, and, that, and, and as you know, that's very interesting, particularly for U.S. parented sure. groups. Yeah. You know, obviously for German parented groups with the U.S. subsidiary, yes. the income inclusion rule would potentially right. tax um, any of those U.S. subsidiaries. But then if you're a U.S. parented group with the German sub and the under tax payment rule, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that, that I've seen as I've looked at, you know, a number of companies yeah. and a number of different industries, right. it's been very interesting and surprising to me, frankly, the number of U.S. companies whose globe rate is below 15, mm -hmm. primarily driven by the incentive regimes that the U.S. have, right. which are generally non-refundable yeah 
business tax credits. Right, right. And it's going to be very interesting to see that because, as you say, if Germany sits directly under the U.S., the question comes up, which we talked in our, my, in our podcast <laughs> in German as well, how do we see your book minimum tax? Is it equivalent IIR? And so far as we understand the rules, I think there are some question marks whether we can say that's qualifying IIR. And if those rules would change... For the anything that's sitting below the U.S. Right. So yeah. Germany sits below U.S. And we would say because you do, for example, global blending, we wouldn't consider it to be equivalent. Then the interesting comes, question comes up, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. It would mean we would apply our UTPR under tax profit rule. And if Germany sits directly under the U.S., we would actually tax the profits in the U.S., but also all of the rest of the world. Right. Which is kind of something I would be... I can't imagine, to be honest, so far. <laughs> but that, that's how the rules are actually so far laid out. Right. And, uh, and if it's applicable for 24, that, that could be very relevant. Right. Because then Germany sitting directly uh, yeah, under U.S., that, that will be the, the consequence. It will be different, though, if Germany will be sitting under some other country, one of the European ones you mentioned, and these um, countries would apply the IIR because then, of course, we would not apply our UTPR again. Right. So, so there, but that's very interesting. Also, imagine if you have German entities below, which are um, PEs. Also, that's quite interesting because then changing the structure and changing, you know, the, the legal structure could be a little bit more complicated. So, I think for that's really something to keep an eye on because um, the, the way how the book minimum tax and these pillar two rules work can, could lead to some very interesting dynamics. Oh yeah, I mean, and then there's still obviously the uncertainty for those USMNC is like, you know, is, is how do you treat guilty, right? right. And, and that tax, right? Because that's almost like the first question before right. the book minimum yes, tax. Sure. Presumably that's a qualifying CFC regime Probably. that you would push down the taxes. Right. I know there's been a lot of questions and frankly a lot of debate amongst our US tax professionals about well, the reason a number of U.S. companies are paying guilty taxes because of our right. expense apportionment rules, yeah. right? Not necessarily because the the subsidiaries, the foreign subs underneath the U.S. are below the you know thirteen percent ish guilty tax. It's because of our mostly driven by our interest expense apportionment, and then it begs the question: Well, if it's a result of interest expense apportionment that you're paying guilty, should that mm -hmm. tax stay up in the U.S. Absolutely. or should that get pushed down to the yeah. CFCs? I don't yeah, think yeah. there's a clear answer to that on the model answer. rules. No, or... it's not. I mean, also just in general, how do you allocate those 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 rules, these taxes under guilty rules if you do a global blending? How do you even allocate then CFC tax to different countries? I think it's quite right. an interesting one. Yeah, do you do pro rata based exactly. on, exactly. on taxable income? Exactly. Like, and it's very relevant. If you do pro rata, for example, you might be still potentially under the 15%, and then our UTPR could kick in. Right. So this is, and I mean, don't, we'll, we'll talk about in a second the filing. That's another topic, because if you then have to do the book minimum and tax filing, which is quite different, as I learned from you, Doug, right. <laughs> and you do the pillar two filing on the UTPR, that's going to be quite complicated just to get the numbers there in the oh, tax return. Yeah, the so. complexity for taxpayers in the filing, and we'll get there. Yeah. But before we get there, and I, I appreciate, Arnie, that you are not an expert in EU law, mm -hmm. um, but, but maybe just to kind of get your perspective as a German tax advisor, I think you know, many of us were, and I kind of started with this, kind of under, the, I think, the, the expectation that, well, you know, if, if we didn't get um, kind of unanimity in, in Europe for the directive, which is effectively wholesale implementation of the model rules and the commentary, I'm oversimplifying a little bit, um, then there was a bunch of discussion about enhanced cooperation, right? About you know whether they could get, and I'm not even sure how those rules exactly work, but uh, you don't you you effectively need a certain number of EU members to agree mm -hmm. to um, effectively have enhanced cooperation. Right. 
Um, and I think some of that manages some of the potential issues with respect to EU law right. on cross-border EU law. Right. What what changed in Germany, or what yeah. is kind of the the Germany's kind of view of of that? Right. Right. That's a good question. So I mean, one we need to see, of course, that Germany is of the view this is the right way to go. You know, just to create a you know level playing field all over basically. So that's politically something which should be achieved. And therefore, of course, no matter what instrument we can you know, use, if I might say so, yeah. in order to encourage other countries to follow this, we will yeah. probably try to apply that. So therefore, directive, of course, is, is the most uh, favored one, so right. if I might say, and as you, you might have seen, there are some discussions around and the you know, outcome is still un, unresolved. The G5 statement you have seen, and then there might be others kind of initiatives as well. But I think there's one interesting element I just want to uh, allude to very quickly, because in the beginning, when the whole press process started, there's also the question about to what extent are those rules in line with the fundamental freedoms, which right. is primary law. And I think that's probably what you're alluding to. Yes. Is, um, so, so for the ones who haven't looked at European law, the principle is that discrimination of cross-border situations is not allowed under European law. So what does it mean? It means if you have a set of rules which primarily apply in a cross-border context, you in principle uh, have the question on the table, is this something which is against fundamental freedoms? Mm -hmm. um, now, if you take Germany with a rate of 30%, I think it's fair to assume in most cases it's going to be cross-border situation where those rules will apply. Even though, of course, we know, especially for the losses and treatment of deferred taxes, there right. might be situations right. where you also have a possibility to apply it within Germany. But I would say the majority of cases are, are cross-border. Now the question comes up, is this in line with the fundamental freedoms? And I think there, the question to what extent we have a directive is very relevant mm -hmm. because of directive. Um, I think the argument is out there also that you as a member state are forced to implement those rules, which gives you some relief on the discussion of the mm -hmm. fundamental freedoms. If now we don't see a directive, I think it's going to be quite interesting to see how this will develop, because then it will be, again, unilateral rules in right. the end, especially if it's just based on a G5 statement. Uh, and then there is also some discussion between uh, tax professionals and university professors to what extent there might be still an overriding principle to say mm -hmm. level playing field is now which is, will be accepted as well under European law. And quite frankly, I think this is at the end something the courts will rule about. Uh, but it's interesting to have this in the back of our head right. because we're all looking at what's going on politically, but forget about this discussion, which was really something the, at the starting point when we talked about Pillar 2 rules three or four years ago mm -hmm. and uh, has been somehow almost forgotten. You know? Right. Mm -hmm. um, one, one of the things that I'm very interested, particularly you know, if there's not a directive, I mean, frankly, this is an issue even if there is a directive, as we think about kind of BEPS 1.0, mm -hmm. as we think about some of the anti-hybrid rules, for example, is you know there seems to be kind of this general view and principle that every country that adopts these rules is going to adopt the exact same mm -hmm. set of rules, right. which is almost kind of required as you start to think about how taxes get allocated or how that income and ultimately the taxes yeah. get allocated across you know, the variety of the various jurisdictions that actually implement these rules. I think if we look back at kind of BEPS 1.0 and mm -hmm. the anti-hybrid rules and the right. CFC rules in Europe, yeah every country kind of adopted a little bit different. Yeah. And it's going to make things extraordinarily complicated. I think right. particularly if we have different jurisdictions implement QDMTTs, right. like what does the filing look like? How practically can that work? And I think it can just create extraordinary complexity for, for frankly, both advisors and sure. taxpayers sure. as we think about having to make various <clears throat> tweaks to various domestic law and right. then understanding how those taxes get allocated because this sure. really is intended to be a global tax yeah. system. 
That's the idea. That's the idea. And I mean, we have to also give the credit that there was really the attempt to make those rules, you know, as, you know, let's say defined as possible, yeah. also as complicated because of that as possible right. at the same time. But of course, the attempt was to really have one set of rules which is applied all over the world. But I mean, the reality as we know it, there will be always some deviations simply because of different interpretations. Right. Maybe sometimes also where there is, let's say, some room for interpretation, local um, parliaments will take a different view. Right. Because in the end, this is just a framework. So, But if you go really down to the nitty-gritty details, as we all know, there might be always deviations. And that's, of course, frankly, concern. I mean, it, it could be only a few percent of deviations, but they can, of course, materialize. And then it becomes really interesting, especially when you go to the filing and Doc, right. you know, this is something Germans I'm ready to now. Do. So, uh, so right. for, for everyone on the podcast, <laughs> Doc and I were talking about this for quite some time uh, and the views, what is important for different countries. And in Germany, we, we, we know about those rules for two or three years already. In most cases, German companies also will expect not to be materially hit simply because we have very stringent CUC rules, mm -hmm. which already provide for a taxation. So in Germany right now, the big topic is for a lot of our clients, how do we make sure that we at least provide an like, accurate tax return? You know, And uh, therefore, we have a lot of clients are looking into that. And, and as you, if you look to these model rules, you see that there are really a lot of deviations. And if you look through the different data points, the big question comes up, how do you make sure that you even get those numbers in, into your system, into your tax reporting system, or even global basis? So this, as you can imagine, is, is a big challenge. And then the interesting question comes up to the deviations we, we just talked about. Mm -hmm. How do you even make sure that the deviations will basically be caught? You know? right. So if you look at those rules right now, how they basically are, are structured, they basically require you a local kind of filing, basically, as it is right now. Right. It's like an information tax return, or right. so to speak, where you basically just collect all the different data points. And the, uh, the ultimate parent entity. Well, hold, hold a sec. Yeah. Under these current rules, you actually do it locally as, as a starting point, and then you can deviate that you say one entity in one country can do the collection and filing for all these entities. Oh, fair enough. Option two and right. option three, that's what you talked about. You do it centrally, for example, in the US, but only under the condition that you have these exchange information right. agreements in place, which we don't have yet. Right. So we right. will we have, have any of this. Not, nothing yet. You know? right. So we will have to see how fast those information agreements will be concluded. Until that point in time, you basically have another local filing requirement in order just to prepare to do uh, a filing at the UPE, at the, at the ultimate parent level. Right. So you have to collect all these data points. And, and then, of course, we have the qualified domestic top-up tax as well, the QDMTT, as you mentioned. That's going to be another filing there. So that's going to be also interesting how any information which are centrally kind of collected, how this involves uh, like a local filing. And, and last but not least, I think it's going to be interesting how this plays out because of course, you would say it's easier to do this centrally and all prepare that because mm -hmm. then at least you do only one filing. You don't have to go all the world. Exactly, the which I went straight to that option. Absolutely. Yeah. But the interesting question is then, to your point, there will be deviations. And you have some countries who have very stringent rules, what is required from a filing perspective and penalty rules. To what extent you want it centrally and want to basically trust that you capture all the deviations. It's interesting to see whether taxpayers will might take the option. Well, for those countries, maybe it's better to do the collection on the ground where really the numbers are sitting mm -hmm. and making sure you comply with those rules and then report it up and collect it there. So it's going to be very interesting to see which kind of direction this goes. But I can certainly say this is going to be, uh, let's say, really an interesting exercise which we have all in front of us and which, which will take a lot of efforts, I guess, on all sides. Yeah, one question I should have asked earlier that I didn't because you had mentioned the QDMTT. Right. Do you anticipate Germany yes. implementing the QDMTT? 
Absolutely. Team yeah. It feels like almost <laughs> any country is going to be yeah. adopting this. I, I kind of feel so. that's inevitable. Yeah. Do you think that would be sort of in the same timeline as the UTPR or as the IAR or? I, I honestly, I do not know. Okay. Uh, anticipation is also it should be somehow aligned. I mean, I yeah. don't see any reason why you would do this on a later point in time. That, that but that's pure speculation. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Sure. All right. So yeah. So going back to the compliance part, and you and I have had a bunch of conversations over the course of the many <laughs> months and, and last couple of years um, on kind of the difference between kind of what some of the the, the German taxpayers and, and U.S. taxpayers, kind of their approach to Pillar 2. Right. Um, whereas you had mentioned that the German, a lot of the German taxpayers are starting with, how are we going to comply with this? Yes. Right. And I think a number of the U.S. taxpayers are starting with, well, how much tax are we going to owe? And to right. your point, because of guilty blending, right, with it's still very possible for U.S. multinational to have low tax um, CFCs and higher tax CFCs and still may not even pay any guilty tax because, mm-hmm. because of the way blending works. But I think what we've learned is that regardless of whether you start with the modeling or start with the compliance, kind of all roads lead to the, how are we going to get the data in the form that we need to, to actually do these calculations to actually. And so whether it's, whether the driver is, well, we want to comply or the driver is, we want to know how much tax are we going to owe? It starts with this, what I've referred to on the podcast is operational readiness. Yes. Like, do we have the right stakeholders, accountants, tax accountants, or finance people, the systems people, because this is effectively a new set of books that companies are going, that it does not really exist. Right. right, kind of by constituent entity. And if you're German paired, presumably it's IFRS or German GAAP. Mm-hmm. For US companies, it's US GAAP. But they do not, for the most part of the companies that, that I've talked to, have that system. And so it's kind of been interesting to me that culturally, kind of where, where we started, but yeah. we all end up with this yeah. holy cow, we have a lot of data that needs to be collected yeah. and formed yeah. to be able to, to do these calculations or yeah. comply. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely a difference. Maybe you can say culturally. Culture. You know, we Germans, we like to file and stamp it very accurately, very fast. So that's how we are. I, I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's also just just to actually also see that in Germany, most people anticipate not to pay really an, uh, an extra tax because yeah. of the rules. Because of the way your CFC rules are Exactly. Structured. So therefore, maybe we're skipping this one step, maybe, yeah. you know. And I mean, ultimately, it will all go to a tax filing, basically. And I think that's what you see. Also, you need to bear in mind, in Germany, we're hearing about this for the last two years, as it's, a, you know, as I said, a topic which is really encouraging in Germany. You've heard it in conferences again and again by representatives of the Ministry of Finance, public conferences. Right. So everyone is kind of anticipating that. So everyone is, okay, we really need to get this done. So there's really not a question at this stage that political, it might not pass. I mean, of course, you never know <laughs> nowadays. Of course, yeah. We have Listen. energy crisis in Europe, you know, there's always something you, you never 100% know. Right. But I still would say, uh, <laughs> given the fact that in the summit where we talked about support in Germany for, for the companies from energy crisis suffering, the question about how do you finance that was brought up. And also this pillar two rules are being seen as one element of that. As of a way to actually collect, increase potential yeah, corporate yeah. tax collections. Of course, leaving aside how much taxes will be really levied in the end. Um, but of course, of politically, course. politically, it's right. something which is part of it. So therefore, yeah, so definitely it's something which we see a lot. And we see a lot of German clients who are now in the process already you know, looking into the books, looking how do they get the data points. Mm-hmm. So I think we're probably really one of the first crunches very early on where taxpayers looked into that just to get ready, basically. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And the, the other comment that I would make from talking to a number of different taxpayers around the world is that there is more consistency with the mm-hmm. systems that, that mm-hmm. Germany uses, as well as your provisioning software, yes. than, than what I've seen throughout the rest of the world. In other Potential. words, like the ERP systems can be a lot more disparate 
And now, of course, like, you know, it, it, it depends obviously on the taxpayer, but of course. I just think that there's sure. been just more, consi- there, I, I've seen more consistency right. in Germany than I have, for example, in the U.S., where you can right. sometimes have a dozen <laughs> different ERP systems, right. you know, and if you've done a lot of deals or whatever, yes, I'm exactly. sure it's still a challenge in Germany and yeah. the U.S. or wherever. Yeah, exactly is what it is. I mean, right. it depends on each taxpayer, right. but I mean, yeah, I think there are certain taxpayers who use already technology yet at this point in time to your tax returns, and that's something you can you can leverage right. upon. But maybe it's a good starting point to even consolidate. Let's Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's move on to another topic that I mm-hmm. know you're exhausted talking about. I think yes. we had like a 50-minute podcast almost yeah. two years ago on Section Was 40. it 50 minutes? It was 50 minutes. Oh, wow, I, wow. I went back and looked before this. I was okay. like, I'm not sure what we talked about. For, I yeah. did not go back and re-listen to okay. it. But for, for, for listeners that are interested in more detail, we give the whole kind of gory right. history of it and where we are. Yeah. Where are we now? We're almost two years later. Maybe right. if you could just remind listeners yeah. briefly, what is, what is Section yeah. 49 right. and kind of where are we? Yeah. So I'm trying to make the 50 minutes into at least a minute or two right. just to summarize it all. <laughs> so what we have, we have this provision which basically provides for a taxation even if transactions occur outside of Germany. So let's say a payment uh, going for royalties between two taxpayers who are not residing in Germany can trigger German withholding tax. You might ask us how is this even possible, rightfully. The reason is that the German tax code foresees once there's a registration for some IP, for patents or for trademarks in German register, the German tax code foresees that this is subject to withholding tax or if you sell off the IP, you can also be subject to, to tax in Germany and do a tax filing and, um, yeah, and, and subject to a tax. So this I, is, I will just to interrupt there, remind yeah. listeners that the, what the U.S. rule for sourcing for royalties is based on where the IP is used. And mm-hmm. so the U.S. rule arguably is similar because you could have a payment between two non-U.S. companies, right. but if it relates to IP that is used in the U.S., that is yeah. a U.S. source right. payment yes. that could potentially be subject to withholding tax. Right. And right. so right. as odd as I think that struck many taxpayers and advisors, frankly, right. the rule is very consistent with how the U.S. sourcing rule yeah. works. That's a good point. And, yeah. and by the way, also use is also another option. I just left it out in yeah. Germany, registered or being used in right. Germany. So basically, this this has been out there, and we have a lot of guidance on this as well. The German Ministry of Finance made it clear because there was some uncertainty. How do they see this? Because it became as a surprise when the discussion started. They made it clear, this is how we see it, as I just laid it out. Uh, And then afterwards, we also had some, let's say, administrative guidance, how you can make the procedure to declare and comply with law a bit easier because um, not everyone anticipated the rule to be read like that. Mm-hmm. And then the question comes up, how do you do this if you make those two payments between two treaty countries? So it could be even between two U.S. entities. Right. You know, because we have a double tax treaty between Germany and the U.S., and we are not allowed to basically tax it. However, in order to apply the treaty, we have a procedure which is kind of formalistic. We need to apply for a, um, yeah, basically for a certificate, right. which basically makes the statement that you are entitled under the treaty. If you don't have that, you would actually first have to pay it and refund it. Right. And then, of course, as you can imagine, that's a lot of, let's say, crunching numbers and filings without any tax being levied. Right, and sometimes a big check that taxpayers would have to write to all know that they could then get the yes, refund. exactly. In order to basically streamline that, the Ministry of Finance already provided for a decree, it was last year, where they basically stated there's a simplified procedure mm-hmm. uh, within a certain time limit, which has been extended again and again, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, which allows for the past to have a streamlined process where those certificates were not in hand, 
And uh, I think it's really recommendable to use this procedure mm -hmm. because otherwise, here on the normal procedure, we have to, we have to pay and refund, and, uh, which obviously is much more burdensome. So that, that, that has been there already. And now we have a new law which is pending where there's also a suggestion to modify that. And uh, the modification basically foresees that those rules are not applicable to payments to third parties because until the current rules there was no distinguishment but this payment is between related parties right. or third parties. And as you can imagine, that becomes very hard, you know, right. because those third parties are not even aware of those provisions. Right. And, uh, and, and I can tell you, we have clients uh, and we have taxpayers who basically, um, yeah, trying to apply those rules. And it's not always easy because your counterparty might be not aware of it. But, right. but I can also share that this is something which is happening in reality. So you see that in reality, really, people um, follow those rules to a certain part. But there's a, a lot of taxpayers also where there's a, a problem simply because of the numbers of taxpayers involved and the third parties being involved just to even apply that. And because um, I think the, there's an acknowledgement that it's too hard to administer. And in mm -hmm. most cases, anyhow, just the filing and the taxes will be repaid. There's a suggestion to abolish that. And then there are some certain other rules in the future to also make this more you know, applied and more, uh, let's say, concentrated view only to territories which are defined under a very special law provision, like third countries where there's no co collaboration. Okay. Uh, there's a bunch of, uh, you know, also other countries uh, which are still covered by a special tax act. And from next year on, 23 on, those provisions will be only applicable for those countries if those will pass parliament. But again, that's still uh, subject to discussions. All right. So the, the, I think the short story is this has not gone away. I think there was mm. some speculation in the tax press and elsewhere that maybe this could just get repealed yeah. or, and that obviously has not happened. So it's important that, that taxpayers understand. Look for sure. Uh, need to, to look into it. Uh, and because particularly yeah. of the penalties to your, yes. your point on pillar two, yes. that they, they can be significant in Germany. So it's important that taxpayers still keep their eye on this. I think it's, it's, it's a matter to keep your eyes on it, especially for the past and the future. There might be some more focused application but it's certainly something to be recommended to look through and it's not suddenly disappearing as, as a whole, as a topic, okay. even though hopefully it becomes more pragmatic than after those changes are being implemented. Okay, so maybe mm -hmm. we'll end things on the anti-hybrid rules. And this right. is this might even be more challenging to try to summarize in two minutes <laughs> than, than the section 49. Right. Um, but I, I, we're, we're waiting on, on some decrees related mm -hmm. to the anti-hybrid rules, right. which... Arguably, Germany was a little late to the party in getting yes. uh, after the EU directive and getting these rules finalized. Yes. And it's created, frankly, a whole bunch of complexity, as particularly for U.S. multinationals, right. where you have disregarded entities in your structure. And right. if you have consolidated groups with disregarded entities, right. just lots of complications and questions right. in how to apply those rules. So maybe right. what can we expect here in kind of the, the right. near term on the German anti-hybrid rules? Sure. So we expect a decree on that, which is our guidance, how the fiscal mm -hmm. authorities will apply for it. Uh, it was just a public event where it was mentioned that they're working on this right now. Okay. And it's also expected maybe even this year that there will be some guidance. And, and though this guidance is really required because a lot of questions are out there. I'm just going to pick on two or three topics just to make it not overly complicated. As said by you, those rules are so, so wide that we can probably talk about this next two hours oh, yeah. basically. But I, I think one big question is, you need to be aware that our definition, what is a hybrid expense, is much wider than most countries. Mm -hmm. So if you have other countries where you just look at payments, we also think any kind of other expense uh, can fall under it. So costs uh, for any kind of goods which are sold can fall under it, depreciation can fall under it. If, the, uh, if it's an intergroup 
um, acquisition is you know basically um, f uh, before happening before and there's no non-taxation because of a qualification conflict any of those expenses can can be can be caught by those rules mm -hmm. and then the other thing is also when you look at the imported uh, hybrid mismatch rules also the definition when you basically link like uh, an income and an expense is quite wide so therefore um, there is a fear so far that we say any kind of expense in the group which ultimately leads to income to, to uh, income which goes back to germany which leads to expense in germany can lead to a potential imported hybrid mismatch rules. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to see whether there will be some reading down and narrowing it down that we say there needs some more connection economically between those hybrid expenses and any kind of payments going out of Germany. Um, if not, as you can imagine, it's going to get very complicated. Mm -hmm. Because assume you have a payment going from Germany somewhere to a European entity, from Europe to the US. Right. You will basically have to whole US group scan is there any kind of hybrid expense or double deduction expense. And where we have our disregarded entity, I mean, that gets really complicated. It's gotten really complicated. So it's going to be interesting what the guidance will provide mm -hmm. on this one. Also, we expect how the guilty rules will also be applied in this, mm -hmm. in the double deduction scenarios especially. We expect, oh, interesting. expect very okay. interesting how we're going to apply that. Because we haven't seen a lot outside from other countries on how those guilty taxes yes. and the guilty rules right. apply in the context of yes. anti-hybrids. We'll yeah. be so interested to see that. Very interesting. And then last but not least, documentation. What is required from documentation? Because in Germany, how it works, there is the requirement of the taxpayer of enhanced cooperation in cross-border scenarios, which means you need to basically leave you an indication that those rules are applicable. You need to make an effort to explore to what extent you're subject to those rules. And the interesting question is, what does it mean? Now, do you just basically ask in your tax group, hey, do we have any indication that there's any hybrid um, you know, payments basically which are allocated to Germany? Is this enough? Do you need to elaborate more? Do you need only at the entity which you're paying to? Do you need to look at the group level? What is the requisition required? And last but not least, don't forget about collaboration clauses. What happens if you have an interloan group agreement? Do you need to have a collaboration clause which allows you to ask those questions? Because a lot of time you might ask the question, but you don't get an answer. So is there a requirement to have this in your agreement to, ex to comply with those right. rules? Because if you don't comply with the rules, the tax order at some point in time might make the statement, okay, you have not complied, I'm assuming the negative towards you, I'm assuming the rules are applicable and I'm denying the deduction. So that's going to be very interesting what the position will be there and to what extent taxpayers need to prepare also down the road in order to prevent that those rules apply just of course formalistic reasons actually. Got it. Well, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. So. Mm -hmm. Man, a lot, a lot covered, Arnie. Thank you very much. I think yeah. the common theme is just, man, there's just a lot of yes. compliance uh, and obligations for for taxpayers to to, to think about. And so yeah. we'll uh, we'll continue to keep an eye on Pillar Two. Yeah. We'll continue to keep an eye on Section Forty Nine as well as right. the anti anti hybrid yeah. rules. But yeah. uh, thanks for joining. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Cross Border Tax Talks. Thank you, Arnie Schnitger, PwC Germany International Tax Partner and host of the podcast called Frisch Serviert. Frisch Serviert. <laughs> I'm Doug McConey, PwC's International Tax Services Global Leader. Stay tuned in two weeks for another exciting edition of the Cross Border Tax Talks podcast. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details.
This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.